Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp issues a new executive order continuing to help the state health care systems hit hard by COVID-19. We'll find out what all the provisions are all about as WABE health reporter Sam Whitehead, Whitehead brings all the latest news. Plus, it's been a staple of Atlanta's West End for decades. We could have sold this mall three or four years ago if we had been willing to sell it to someone who was just going to come in and do a classic redevelopment. And that wasn't what we wanted. What's next for the mall West End? I'll speak with one of the principal owners of the mall, Charles Taylor, about the prospective new buyers and concerns from the West End community. Also, a lot of Labor Day events are taking place that might draw large crowds, and that includes the annual Black Atlanta Black Pride event. But here's a question. How and what COVID-19 measures are in place? I'll speak with Terrence Stewart, president of Atlanta Black Pride, because he joins me a little bit later in the program. Now, all that's just ahead. But first this, we're going to go out of state. If you were planning to attend the 2021 Bonnaroo Music and Arts Festival in our neighboring state of Tennessee this weekend, it is canceled. Not because of COVID-19. The grounds where the annual music jam takes place is soggy to the core. Due to the heavy rains which caused flooding brought on by Tropical Storm Ida as it passed through, the organizers were really, really upset about this. They said they are heartbroken to announce that we must cancel Bonnaroo and that the the Music and Arts Festival was scheduled to take place in Manchester, Tennessee. So a lot of folks here in Atlanta and the Georgia area were headed to that festival. Maybe we'll be back soon. Back here in Georgia, the Atlanta region will be will experience perhaps its largest influx of visitors in more than a year. A spokesperson for the Atlanta Police Department tells Closer Look, APD will announce its Labor Day public safety plans tomorrow. And meanwhile, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky says if folks are traveling near or afar, we provide our travel health, we receive travel health notices um, and and, caref- and carefully watch those daily. Those look at um, testing capacity as well as case rates and we update our travel guidance by country in real time. We have actually articulated that people who are fully vaccinated and who are wearing masks can travel, um, although given where we are with disease um, transmission right now, um, we would say that um, people need to take their own these risks into their own consideration as they think about traveling. First and foremost, if you are unvaccinated, um, we would recommend not traveling. By the way, a trip advisor survey reveals 31 percent of Americans plan to travel this holiday weekend. That's not far off from last year's 30 percent and 32% and 35% from 2019. It also found that 22% of y'all are just still not undecided. 
Are you traveling this Labor Day weekend? Let me know. Rose at WABE.org. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Here's what we know. Georgia hospitals are overwhelmed. And as one physician told me this week, Rose, it's really, really bad. Governor Brian Kemp is issuing some additional funding for health care systems. And the State Department of Public Health Director talks about anti-vaxxers. All this information coming out this week. Well, WABE health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead was there, and he has all the latest information. Sam, as always, we appreciate you stopping by. Hey, Rose. Good to be with you. Wow. Where to begin, Sam? Uh, orient us, if you can. Where is Georgia right now with cases and hospitalizations? As you heard me say, this physician told me, Rose, it's bad. And that's what I'm hearing from doctors as well, folks who work in emergency rooms, who are seeing more COVID patients than they ever have, hospital management who says, who have told me on multiple occasions that, you know, things are about as bad as they've ever been. You know, looking at the numbers from the State Department of Public Health, our rolling average of new cases is it looks like later today is potentially going to uh, outstrip where it was in January, if we all remember how uh, bad that seemed at the time. We're mm-hmm. about to get worse than that. When it comes to hospitalization statewide, we're about at that same point. Um, if you break that down by region, there are some parts of the state whose hospitals are busier now with COVID patients than they've ever been. Um, and this is really the Delta variant. Uh, Dr. Kathleen Toomey, who runs our Department of Public Health, said earlier this week that nearly all the new infections in the state can be linked to Delta. And we've seen for weeks that most of the people who are sick enough to get hospitalized are not vaccinated. So the combination of Delta and our not great job uh, getting people vaccinated seems to have uh, put us in this place right now. Sam, is it still the same familiar regions of the nation? We know a lot of some states here in this southern part of the nation, or is it just really throughout the entire country? Well, you know, the CDC on their uh, COVID data page kind of maps out how bad things are in a kind of color-coded map, and the entire country is red right now. So there is high levels of community transmission over <laughs> essentially the entire U.S. Um, and so what that really says to me is is something that I've heard from a lot of different public health and, you know, infectious disease uh, officials and, and, and experts is that Delta really is a different virus. Um, you know, it's much more transmissible than other strains, and even in places with high vaccination coverage, Delta seems to be outpacing uh, the kind of protection that those vaccines provide. 
This state seems to be taking some steps to help improve things. And just earlier this week, as I mentioned, Governor Brian Kemp announcing this first real state-level incentive for people to get vaccinated. Tell us about this. Yeah, so Governor Kemp announced earlier this week that uh, folks who get health coverage to the state health benefit plan, so this is state employees, uh, teachers, I, I think uh, retirees as well, um, who get vaccinated are going to be eligible for a $150 Visa gift card or some $400 towards health care costs like mm-hmm. copays mm-hmm. Um, if they go ahead and complete their vaccine regimen by early November. Uh, this benefit is also going to be retroactive. So if you're a member of the state health benefit plan who's already gotten vaccinated, you should be able to qualify for this too. Um, And, you know, I have seen some chatter from folks uh, on Twitter, infectious disease uh, experts, uh, epidemiologists, that they are excited to see the governor take a step like this. Um, But it's kind of hard to think of this having a real impact immediately because, like I said earlier, things are about as bad as they've ever been here in the state. Um, And so I've also seen some conversation about, you know, maybe this is a little too little too late. And I've heard that as well. Uh, Any chances this is the start of more state level efforts to get people vaccinated? What do you think? I would say probably not. Uh, The governor was asked that uh, earlier this week and um, he said, and this was his word he used, he said that it's cumbersome for the state to run this kind of incentive program. Um, you know, other than kind of these small things the state has done. Uh, we might remember, too, the governor announced uh, last month that this Friday state employees will have the day off for a long Labor Day weekend. He's encouraged them, encouraging them to go get vaccinated. Uh, Kemp says he thinks the best approach is for local governments to take initiatives like this. We saw last week in the uh, DeKalb County Board of Health held a big vaccination event at the Stonecrest Mall. They offered a financial incentive, and I believe they had to shut it down because there were too many people who, who showed up. And they've been doing this And it's been working. It has been working. And so, you know, uh, the governor's approach, uh, his argument he makes is that people trust local officials more than the state. Um, You know, uh, that's a whole other conversation as to why that might be. Um, And so he, I think, would prefer that local governments, local health departments take this on. In terms of the vaccination, but not in terms of the mask mandates? Is that something totally different? (laughs) You know, I I take your point. You know, I, I think that there, this pandemic has really tested um, uh, and shown how uh, certain politicians feel about local control. Gotcha. Uh, where is Georgia right now, Sam, in terms of its vaccination, fully vaccination rate at this time? And I got to tell you, Sam, when you look at the State Department of Public Health, their dashboard, then you may go to another one like Johns Hopkins, there could be a percentage or two off. Now, maybe something that's not a big deal, but when it comes to data and this type of information, it is. Where do you go for the information as relates to Georgia first? Well, I really like to look at um, the CDC's website. The CDC has so many different ways that they slice and dice COVID-19 data. Uh, but 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 for me, I like to go there because that's really kind of where you can see how Georgia compares with the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we've seen over the course of the pandemic, uh, you know, Georgia is still trailing many other parts of the country when it comes to getting shots in arms. We're not, you know, the last state in the nation, um, but we are still trailing many others. You know, and uh, something interesting that I think has happened recently is uh, the pace has picked up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have seen from states data that, you know, more people have. Uh, have decided to go ahead and get vaccinated. Uh, We've also seen that at the national level, too. Um, Officials from the Biden administration said this week that, you know, in August, we've seen 
vaccine numbers uh, that we hadn't seen since July. Um, it seems to be that people's awareness of just how different and how scary the Delta variant is uh, really seems to be pushing people to go ahead and uh, get vaccinated. And Sam, I want to shift for a moment to a different uh, angle here because we heard from Commissioner Dr. Kathleen Toomey that vaccine sites were being harassed, one so badly it had to shut down. Mm-hmm. Any more information on that? Yeah, this was something that Dr. Toomey mentioned uh, during this press conference earlier this week. And uh, like a lot of reporters, I reached out to DPH because this really, you know, stuck out to me. Um, it seems that this has happened at several vaccine locations around the state, state according to Department of Public Health uh, spokeswoman Nancy Nidum. Um, in South Georgia, apparently there was an incident where people tracked down public health employees in a small town on social media. Um, proceeded to send them harassing threats. Um, you know, small town Georgia, it's probably not hard to know who your you know, neighbors are who mm-hmm. work in public health. Um, and the event that Dr. Toomey seemed to be talking about was in North Georgia. A mobile event faced so much harassment they were forced to shut down. And apparently the workers running this site also realized that people were not going to get vaccinated anyway. No one had shown up. Um, so it just really seems to be uh, you know, people's hesitancy may be turning into uh, a little bit more than that in, in certain parts of the state. Did Dr. Toomey, did she, I'm assuming she, you know, expressed concerns and obviously, you mm-hmm. know, said, look, folks can't do that. I don't know if there's anything they can do. Yeah, you know, this was not the first time that Dr. Toomey has expressed surprise about something that has been surprising to me. There was a point earlier in the pandemic where she said she was quite frankly surprised that certain populations, specifically white rural populations, were hesitant. That's surprising to hear our state's top public health official say. The currents that we have seen in the last decade of people who are who don't believe in vaccines, mm-hmm. who are against vaccination, have been so strong mm-hmm. that it's kind of surprising to me that our state's top public health official was surprised that we would see some vaccine sites harassed. I, I think this is just another instance of, you know, Certainly, public health is working very hard with not a lot of resources, um, but maybe a missed opportunity to really understand a, a, a potential problem in the vaccine rollout. Well, and also because so many of these regions, which you, we could all say they're fairly r- rural, but they're also hit hardest in terms of the healthcare system, so the rural hospitals. And even before the pandemic, the mm-hmm. plight of Georgia's rural hospitals in, in general, we all know mm-hmm. what was going on with that. So now the governor and announcing more funding and for more money and has said we want to make sure we definitely take care of our rural hospitals in these same areas where some of the folks want to shut down vaccination sites but that's another maybe another conversation um is this kind of thing that could really help the hospitals in terms of the funding walk our listeners through what exactly the governor is going to do yeah so um the, the first initiative was announced uh, announced first this was some 125 million dollars uh the governor's put forth to help hospitals who have been hit hard by the pandemic hire some 1500 healthcare workers you know I, i've talked with uh you know uh, kind of officials at at local Atlanta hospitals who've expressed concerns about staffing shortages everywhere. You know, nurses, for example, um, are in very high demand across the country. Mm -hmm. They've been in very high demand for most of the pandemic, before the pandemic. And so I've heard people express concern that the state might not be able to find these workers at all. Uh, you know, the governor has also announced um, the mobilization of a number of Georgia National Guard troops. He was asked about that earlier this week. It seems like 
there are not enough of those guard troops who actually have medical training, mm -hmm. uh, but they'll be doing other things in healthcare settings to help take the pressure off, you know, healthcare providers who have those specialized skills. So, you know, a National Guard member could maybe deliver a meal to someone in a room mm -hmm. and take that responsibility off someone who does have more advanced training to, to use that advanced training to actually care for people. And we should note, too, that uh, Grady obviously was among the Area, the local hospitals here that's also going to receive some help as well. Sam, emergency rooms right now, can you tell our listeners, paint the picture for what they're going through right now? You know, we, uh, I like to look at the kind of uh, patient census that Georgia puts together, um, looking at just how busy hospitals are around the state. You know, uh, one of the things they focus on are ICUs, right? Mm -hmm. This is, you know, you, if you come in through the emergency room and you're sick enough, you're going to end up in the ICU. A number of regions around the state, their ICUs are operating over capacity. And what that means is if you need intensive care, you're not necessarily going to be able to find space in your normal ICU room. You're maybe going to be in a waiting room or some non-traditional space. Um, you're going to have a, a, a hospital worker caring for you who is overworked and maybe they can't give you the kind of attention that you're looking for. What we've seen with ER specifically is the State Department of Public Health last week put out a press release just kind of letting the public know that a number of emergency mm -hmm. rooms are in a status called diversion. That means if you, Rose, show up in an ambulance mm -hmm. for whatever reason, you're going to have to wait longer and they might not be able to provide you the regular kind of care that they would be able to in a non-emergency situation. I had a physician that I spoke with earlier to this week who talked about having to turn away some folks. I think one person might have had a stroke. They had to sit, find another ER to send that person to. You know, you know, Sam, someone having a stroke. I mean, minutes are so crucial. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation earlier with Dr. Carlos Del Rio from Emory University, and I asked him, I said, are we to the point where we're rationing care? You know, we might have heard earlier in the pandemic, people mm -hmm. might remember those stories coming out of northern Italy where there were only so many, you know, ventilators around to put people on and that left people without getting care. You know, I, I don't know if we're to that much of a crisis situation yet. And he, Dr. Del Rio, kind of that was his take. But if we are warning people, if the state's Department of Public Health is warning people that if you show up to an ER, you not, might not be able to get the care that you're looking for, it seems like we're, we're pretty close to rationing. Mm. Sam, the current surge is also, we know, seems to be hitting our youngest mm. of the kids hard. I know Dr. Toomey said the state's seen a lot of cases in kids, correct me if I'm wrong, quadruple in recent weeks? Yeah, and that significant increase, she says, has been among uh, school-aged children, uh, with the sharpest increased, uh, an increase in children aged 11 to 17. And uh, this is so striking, because this is the real first time in the pandemic that in the state of Georgia, this age group, children, um, has really made up for the lion's share of cases. Um, they're almost the hardest hit in the state at this point, if we want to think about age demographics. You know, there is no vaccine available for kids under 12. Uh, you know, top federal health officials say it's going to be some time, potentially into 2022, before that happens. And schools are back in session. So we have this kind of intersection of these children without protection um, and, you know, getting back into these congregate settings at a time when many schools, you know, when they were planning for the school year, which happens months in advance, things were not as bad as they are now. Mm -hmm. And so we have schools, I think, treating this year a little bit differently than they had than they did last year. And Sam, there have been, depending on whom you ask, and if you are on social media or a credible news outlet, folks talking about, well, are these 
school-based transmissions? Are these outside the school-based transmissions? And some say, does it even matter? If kids are coming to school and they have the virus, you have to do something. What are you hearing? How, how's, what's the link here? I mean, I, I, I think there's a few different ways to answer that. So the Centers for Disease Control has been tracking outbreaks. And Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who leads that agency, is, has stressed on multiple occasions, schools that are not taking the CDC's prevention measures, masks, distancing, getting teachers and staff vaccinated, those schools are seeing more outbreaks. Um, you know, uh, here in the state of Georgia, apparently in the last week or so, the state has tracked some 170 outbreaks. That's the most during the pandemic. Dr. Kathleen Toomey has said that the majority of those were in schools. Schools are places where transmission happens. I think it's really important, though, for us to all understand that schools are not islands. They're in communities. There was a really striking case study put out by the CDC last week that showed an unvaccinated teacher, um, this was in Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area, came in, took off her mask to read a story to her classroom, many of whom were masks, uh, were, were masked. A number of those kids got sick and then took it home to their family members. And so the real takeaway was that one infected person with this new Delta variant can really have a much wider impact. And so when, when we think about what schools can do, I think it's really important for us to also focus on what you know adults in that school who can get vaccinated can do, and then just what the rate of spread is in a community. If there's a high rate of community spread in a city or town where a school is, those kids are going to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Sam, I know I've asked you this for the last 18 months now, and I think you expect it. Where do we go from here? Yeah, you know, I it's I, I feel like it's a lot of people are maybe wondering that. It, it this summer I think there was a lot of hope. I think we were told uh, we were modeled a lot of reasons to hope. You know, elected officials, you know, the president declared freedom from the virus um, after Fourth of July, right? And things have just right. turned around so very quickly. So I, I think it's it's really really hard to say. Um, some models have said the current wave that we're dealing with with Delta could peak sometime in the early fall. Mm-hmm. That's still a ways away, um, and hospitals are already overwhelmed and have been for some time. So you know, we'll see how much worse that gets. Regardless of what the next, you know, few months, next year looks like, it's important to know that pandemics do end, right? Either the virus gets to everybody or enough people get vaccinated that we shut it down. So, you know, even though the next period of time is a little unclear, um, there will be an end at some point. WABE health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead. Yes, where are we headed? Sam, as always, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Our listeners appreciate this. Thank you, Rose. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Yes, you know, Labor Day weekend, big weekend. It's pretty much here. There are several events and festivals going on throughout Metro Atlanta. Now, some have been canceled, but you know what? There are some that are still going to take place. Event organizers are tasked with not only planning and managing their events, but you know what? They're also tasked with keeping event attendees safe. Because we, as we just heard with Sam, obviously we are still in the pandemic. You know, I checked in with the event organizers from Dragon Con and Atlanta Pride. Atlanta Pride decided to go ahead and cancel their October event. 
And but Atlanta, that's not the only Atlanta Pride is not the only LGBTQI parade and festival that takes place. Now we're going to bring in Terrence Lester. He excuse me, Terrence Stewart. He's the president of Atlanta Black Pride to learn more about the organization and the COVID-19 measures they have in place for the many, many weekend events. So, Terrence, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Are you with me? There good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rose. How's it going? It's going. Let me ask you this. Uh, had you all had any discussion maybe to consider canceling or postponing um, Atlanta Black Pride due to the coronavirus cases being, you know, increasing? Did y'all even ab- approach that conversation at all? Did you think about it? Yes, we actually did. So let's back up to January. Oh, wow. Uh, because we were, we were still in COVID in January. Yeah. And so my team, my team, <laughs> we're still looking over now. My team and I actually had um, sat down. We pulled out our plan book. We're like, okay, it's the 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we going to do and how are we going to pull this off? Um, especially if we're still deep in COVID, people can get vaccines and things of that nature. Um, so my team and I, we developed our COVID plan. Our contingency plan was to run everything virtual, just like we did in uh, 2020. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of virtual programming. But then the city um, started opening up parks and opening up things. And then, of course, our governor started putting out executive orders saying that, you know, local governments can't overrule his authority and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. So the city of Atlanta actually had to go back and kind of figure out how to make this this work. So they started opening up city parks to smaller events and then medium-sized events and then larger events. Part of the permitting process is that we have a COVID plan in place. Okay. So that COVID plan had to include additional hand-washing stations, additional sanitizing um, stations, masks available, even if it is an outside event. Um, So we provided all of that, plus the additional COVID protocols that we were going to take place for our event. And so Atlanta, so. for our listeners who may not be familiar, Atlanta Black Pride, you mentioned this is such a, a big year. It's the 25th anniversary. That's such a great number, a great year. Um, for listeners who may not be familiar with it, give a little bit of backstory about how all this came together. Atlanta Black Pride was founded in 1996 uh, by a group of six individuals who did not feel they had a space at the table when it came to Atlanta Pride Committee. Um, they didn't feel like they had a voice. And speaking with some of the elders um, before me, mm-hmm. um, the comment that they always made was that they could perform on their stage, but they could not be a part of the planning. They could not be a part of the committee. And so out of that sentiment, six individuals came together to birth what is now Atlanta Black Pride. And, and No, go ahead, finish. And, and now and 25 so, years later. 25 years later, you have Atlanta Black Pride, which is one of the largest Black Pride celebrations in the United States. Um, so, Terrence, let's, let's let our listeners know, you all will have an, your annual outdoor event. Where will this be? Um, are you all the, able to manage the crowds? Take us through this. So the event is two-phase. We have an indoor event, which is at our host hotel, the mm-hmm. Atlanta Marriott Suites, 3514th Street. Our workshop series takes place there on Friday, starting at 11 and runs to 5. And then we have a fashion show as well as an erotic poetry night. Mm-hmm. The hotel, of course, itself has COVID protocols in place. So whereas we would run 20, 30 workshops during an Atlanta Black Pride weekend, 
we scaled those back to six. Oh. We've spaced we spaced those times out so that the hotel staff can get in there and clean a room. So nobody's going into a space right after a workshop, right after a workshop. Indoor events, you are required to wear a mask, whether you're vaccinated or not. That's hotel policy. Mm-hmm. The workshop spaces have been spread out. So you have your six feet of social distancing. And those are free and open to the public, but they are first come, first served basis. So you might get to a room and it may already be full. Mm. And we, we can't allow you to stand along the walls. We can't allow you to sit on floors like we've done in past when workshops were full um, because of the protocols. I know that with Dragon Con, there are going to be some areas where maybe folks can have vaccination sites. Are you all going to work with partner with a, a healthcare system or, for, or some entity where if folks want to get the vaccine, they can do it within uh, Atlanta Black, Black Pride? Yes, ma'am, we do. We have Fulton County Board of Health on deck. We have Go get the shot. Get your pride on and get the shot. Get get your pride on and get the shot. (laughs) We got them on site on deck on Saturday and Sunday at Central Park. They will be there providing both testing and COVID vaccination. So if you got one shot but didn't get the other shot, bring that card with you. Come on down. Get your second shot. If you've never been vaccinated, come on down. Get your shot. Get your first shot and then schedule your follow-up for your second shot. If you know now, there's this thing with the booster. So if you had two shots, find out if you're eligible for a booster. Bring your card down. Say it's been so many weeks since I had my second shot. When when am I eligible for my booster shot? Now, Terrence, everybody else been offering Visa de- uh, prepaid debit cards. You, <laughs> what what y'all got? <laughs> you say you're on a small budget. <laughs> My budget is small. If I was to sit up here and tell you I got some prepaid music cards, my whole board would be looking for me in about five minutes. Like, what are you talking about? Why'd you tell Rose no. Scott y'all going to wear $100 debit cards when you get vaccinated? <laughs> He's not saying that, folks. Now, let's back up a little bit because I am curious. Did you get any pushback, especially when Atlanta Pride recently announced that, look, they had to cancel its parade and festival, and that's in, in October. Did you get any pushback? Did folks call you and say, Terrence, what are y'all doing? Maybe y'all should reconsider as well. So um, since Atlanta Pride canceled last week, our phones have rung nonstop at the office, our cell phones, emails, everything exploded all in a couple of days. And it still hasn't stopped. Um, It's like, so are you guys going to cancel? Are you guys going to cancel? We had vendors calling. We had sponsors calling saying, are you going to cancel? Are you going to cancel? And is like, no, we're not going to cancel because right now we're a week out from an event. Um, so whether we cancel a week out from an event or we cancel two weeks out from an event, at this point, we're we're on the hook for an event um, because we got vendors that come from all over the country that come to Atlanta to van that weekend. We've already booked performers. We've already, you know, settled with the park, settled with the hotel. So it's kind of like we can cancel. But mm-hmm. that money we're not getting back. And then the sponsors are going to want their money back that they gave us. Well, they should understand. The sponsors could go ahead and let that go. That's just you my opinion. You, 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 would, you would think. <laughs> no, I'm just. That's a, but, that's but, a whole other story. But you understand, <laughs> Terrence. You understand people's concerns. I mean, especially with this Delta variant. You just heard the conversation I had with our, with our WABE health reporter. So you understand how confident how optimistic, but how much confidence do you have in you all being able, with the measures you just talked about, being in place? Because uh, you can't control people's behavior. You know that. So if some folks don't get in to the fashion show, but they want to hang out, I mean, you all have to, you have to deal with that. 
So we're actually set up, um, especially at the hotel with the fashion show and the erotic poetry night. Um, the room is set at 100 capacity, mm-hmm. period. Um, we're halfway there with the online ticket sales. So the rest will be day of sales. And once we hit 100, that's it. I'm going to have to turn you around at the door. I don't like to turn people around for mm-hmm. events, but this is one of those cases where I'm going to have to turn you around because the spacing is there and it's actually spaced out to only have 100 people in that space at any given point in time. So, and even over at the park, um, mm-hmm. we did a staggered. And which park is it again? Is it Piedmont? Central, Central Park. Central Park, Central okay. Park. Central Park. We even did a staggered um, layout for our vendors and there's 10 feet apart between the vendor booths there mm-hmm. so that people don't crowd up at one and kind of flow over to the other. So we got some spacing in between them and the way we staggered them out. Terrence, as we wrap up, any idea in terms of the numbers, in terms of the crowds that you all usually attract? And, you know, again, for our listeners, what do you want them to know about if they decide to come to Atlanta Black Pride, that you all, again, are taking all these safety health and safety measures into consideration. If you decide to attend any of the Atlanta Black Pride events, whether you're indoor at the hotel with us or outside, we're going to have the protocols in place needed to protect you. You as an individual have to govern yourself accordingly. Um, Personally, I always tell people I've had both of my shots, but on indoor spaces, I don't take my mask off. Um, It's very seldom that you will see that. And I still maintain a whole social distancing piece, even when traveling through the airport and other places that I've been. Um, So even even though I've had the test with the Delta variant, uh, my shots, even with the Delta variant, I still get tested because I'm in public spaces. And at this point, we don't know what that variant is. It it says it's more so for the unvaccinated versus vaccinated. But I've known people who've been vaccinated Mm -hmm. that have gotten this Delta variant. Terrence, I have a listener who wants to know, for your vendors, are you requiring them to be masked as well as they deal with the public? Okay. Yes. The vendors are going to have to wear a mask. Um, All of our food truck vendors, all of our marketplace vendors, they're going to have to have a mask on when they deal with the public. And Terrence, what does being able to have this 25th anniversary of Atlanta Black Pride mean to you personally? Personally, um, I've been involved with Atlanta Black Pride for 10 years. So to see where we've come from that 15th year anniversary to where we are now, I'm super excited about this event. And it's a community-wide event. So everybody thinks that, you know, well, it's just Atlanta Black Pride. No, it's a community event. It serves a purpose for the community. Terrence Stewart, the president of Atlanta Black Pride, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for informing our community. Thank you, Rose. Have a good day. All right. Now, and remember, folks, you won't get a Visa debit card if you get vaccinated on site. So just clear that out your mind. Because That might be a Fulton County thing. I need to call them right oh, now. I don't, all right. Well, <laughs> don't promise nothing, Terrence. I'll call them to follow up. <laughs> Take care. All right. one of my favorite music beds. I like that. You're listening to Closer Look. Of course, I'm Rose Scott. And now an update 
to a community topic first reported last week here on the program about a prospective new buyer reportedly in the mix to purchase the Mall West End. Now, this coming after New York real estate firm Tishman Spire was under contract to purchase the 300,000 plus total square feet of property, but they put out they were no longer interested. Okay. Put out of that deal. Now, we told you that another New York development entity, the Prussic Group, is looking to purchase Mall West End. And then when that hit the community, a letter was sent to Prussic from a coalition of residents and business owners called West End Neighborhood Development. In this letter, it revealed concerns regarding Prussic's, quote, lack of collaboration and community engagement regarding your firm's plan to acquire Mall West End within 60 days. Now, Charles Taylor is partner in HT West End LLC. That's the ownership group of the Mall West End. And when we spoke just the other day, our conversation began with Taylor confirming, indeed, Prusik was looking to purchase this mall. Charles, thanks for taking the time. Or as your friends call you Chuck, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Let's begin with some confirmation in terms of what you can say. It is confirmed that the Prusik Group is indeed in talks to purchase Mall West End. Is that true? I, I can confirm what's been reported in the newspaper. Andrew Katz, who is a principal owner in a statement, cited, quote, we are currently in the first few days of our due diligence process for the acquisition of the existing mall. Can you tell us how close this deal is, though, in being finalized? We're looking at 30 days, 60 days. What can you confirm? I'm afraid I'm afraid I'm not at liberty to discuss any details of the contract. Okay. Chuck, I know back in 1997 when you all purchased the mall, I think you purchased it for, what, $3 million? That was a... That was a that was a pretty good deal back then. Different market, different economy now. What is the value of the entire Mall West End property? And then afterwards, for our listeners who may not know, give the actual boundaries of the entire property. So I uh, again, I'm not at liberty to disclose the price um, it's being sold for. I will tell you that at the time we purchased it, it was a third vacant or more. Mm-hmm. And it was a very different property at the time. It was in trouble. Uh, and we acquired it and turned it around. Um, it's bounded by Oak Street, Lee Street, um, Abernathy, and Dunn Street, sort of. Uh, a portion of Dunn Street is open and a portion of Dunn Street was closed many, many years ago, back in the early 70s. Chuck, before the Prusik Group, there was Tishman Spire. We understand now that that deal did not get done. Um, how long, though, has the Prusik Group shown an interest? Did they show an interest before Tishman Spire? Uh, how long has their offer been in the mix? Can you reveal that? I can tell you that we've been talking to them for quite a while. And what do you know about this group? We've done some research. I know they're up in New York, and they are... Um, a real estate firm, development firm that has worked primarily in the tri-state area up there. What do you know about them? I know that. I know they've done a number of deals like this up in the New York area, and I know that they are in the process of taking their platform uh, national. Uh, they've got some other deals that they're working on, and this is something that they want to do. They've got a number of partners that they're working with, and uh, this is something that they're looking to expand. Chuck, for listeners who may not understand, because like a lot of cities here in Atlanta, when you have a major development deal, there are all these other 
sometimes entities that want to get involved to ensure that it fits the area, to ensure their community benefits. So you got a lot of stakeholders here. To your knowledge, do you know if the city of Atlanta is offering any incentives or maybe Central Atlanta Progress or Invest Atlanta, or this deal will be strictly between your group and the Prusik group? What can you tell us? I I can't really speak to that. I'm not involved. Uh, From my standpoint, we're merely selling the wall. Mm -hmm. You've said before that the interest of the community must be a focal point for the buyer of the mall, given your family's history with the property. Are there provisions you would like, though, in the agreement that you can share, that you would like for the Prusik group to consider or that you would want? Well, rather than putting it that way, let me say that we have chosen the developers with whom we've spoken over the last three or four years based on their representations that they were going to do community-focused redevelopment and and, and avoid some of the issues and problems that come with traditional gentrification. Mm -hmm. Uh, We could have sold this mall three or four years ago uh, if we had been willing to sell it to someone who was just going to come in and do a classic redevelopment. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't what we wanted. We've been a part of this community for, for three generations now. Uh, my business partner's mother was raised in the West. End. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so it's important to us that it be done right. So rather than talking about conditions that, uh, that we want of them, I'd rather talk about the fact that we pre-screened everybody that we've talked to um, based on what they've represented they're going to do because protecting the community, uh, this property needs to be redeveloped, but protecting the community is really important to us and has been important to us. Uh, The prior group has been working on this for almost three, had been working on this for almost three years and we gave them an enormous amount of time and flexibility because we liked the concept and that's what we're looking for. You are aware of the letter that was sent to the Prusik group from residents and business owners called the West End Neighborhood Development or WIND. You read the letter through your lens. Do they have valid points, Chuck? You know, look, I read the letter. Uh, I was copied on the letter. Um, I understand where they're coming from. They do have valid points. I think they may have jumped the gun in the process. Uh, You know, Prusik's statement was a good statement, I thought, and that is they need to do the real estate due diligence before they can work on their planning and that they're doing. Uh, And they have represented to us that they are not doing anything without the input of the community and that they are going to reach out to the community and want to be a part of the community and their redevelopment. They said that in their statement and they've said that to us. And I think uh, that's a that was a perfectly good response. And finally, Chuck, as we wrap up, you talked about the screening process. I want to go back to 1997 in an interview you gave uh, with the local paper here. You said, quote, malls like this just can't prosper with ownership in Europe and management in Texas. This is the kind of property that needs local hands-on management. I know that was 24 years ago. Different time, different market, different economy. Any concerns you have with an outside developer coming in? And do you still feel the same way? That quote referred to the people we were buying them all from. It was an offshore whole company, Dutch holding company for the pension fund of Phillips Electronics. And they were managed out of Texas. And at the time, they were managing the mall as the mall and as i mentioned earlier not in great shape mm-hmm. it was 
a third vacant that other tenants who were there, many of whom were struggling. Um, and you cannot, and I still believe you can't operate that kind of property from overseas um, or across the country. What these guys are talking about doing is completely different. And, uh, you know, once you're talking about a redevelopment, it's, it's not operating a 30 year old mall. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a it's a new kind of project and they are committed to having a presence here to having a meaningful presence here uh, and I fully believe that they're based on their track record elsewhere that they're going to come in they're going to do the job that they've said they're going to do they're going to do something that's going to benefit the community and that everybody's going to be proud and happy with um, and I'm confident in their ability to do that Chuck would it make sense to go ahead and get this deal done before a new city administration gets in or do, does it really not matter? Because sometimes, you know, different administrations have different approaches to development. What's your take on that? I um, I suspect the new administration will be friendlier for development than this one has been, but that's just all I can. Charles Taylor is part of the HT West End LLC, the ownership group of the Mall West End. Chuck, thank you for taking the time and answering the questions. The community appreciates it. I appreciate it. Rose, thank you so much. And a note of disclosure, Charles Taylor, principal owner of HT Weston LLC, is also a current board member of Public Broadcasting Atlanta. Conversations that matter to you and your community, that's what we're here for. Send me an email, folks, rose at wabe.org. A reminder that you can always let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other because y'all do it so well. Send me an email, hit me up on Twitter, whatever you want to say, have your say. And if you missed any of today's show, it's online. The entire program is online at wabe.org slash closer look. You can also listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.